Hi everybody, my name is uh, Jeff Garrett, and we're real glad that you're here. We're talking about how churches can reach out to people who are suffering from addiction. And um, I would like to begin with the most important thing, and I say this every day, it's uh, the good confession. So if you would, um, repeat after me, and I, I really would like for you to respond so that we could hear you. So, and, and there's no pressure, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, I love you, no strings attached. But if you do believe in Jesus, then repeat after me. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. He rose from the grave. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing in life, and that's something I say every day. And so I'm a recovering alcoholic. And by the grace of God, I have 19 years of sobriety. Amen. And, um, so, yeah. and I have two guys here with me that mean the world to me. They're best friends. And their name is uh, uh, Jimmy Johnston. And he's going to speak next. And he's like the AA spokes or statesman for West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. I mean, it, he, he is incredible. And he is my sponsor, and he's also Rocky's sponsor, uh, so we share a sponsor. And all three of us, we're really wonderful friends, and they know everything about me, and I know about them, too. And God just did some amazing things, you know, in Huntington, West Virginia, through these two guys. And I'm the minister for the Norway Avenue Church of Christ in Huntington, West Virginia. And I'm also connected to Marshall University. I'm a professor in the clinical mental health uh, program at Marshall. And I've been at Norway since 2004. I've been a professor there since I started teaching adjunct in uh, 2005. And then at 2008, I, I was full-time. So 20 years ago, I was in jail. And I was bankrupt. and. Losing, uh, losing everything, but um, today, you know, here we are, and if you'd have told me back then, you know, that would have said, there's no way that I would ever preach, you know, but now I'm preaching, and God has just really um, put it on my heart to put Christ at the center of everything. I want to share a little model, it's, uh, it's, uh, something that I began to put together in, in jail. I knew a lot about CBT, but I put Jesus at the center. But this represents your, you know, your thoughts. And then uh, in this circle would be your feelings. So whatever you think, that's the way you feel. And then this is your body's response. And then, uh, this is your behavior. And so, whatever you think, that's the way you feel, that's the way your body responds, and that's the way you behave. And this is going on automatically all the time. And uh, there's another big circle out here called the environment. And if you're, if you're working with people in addiction, uh, this is kind of how their environment goes. There's a, a P.O., and there's a baby mama, and a baby daddy, maybe, and um, family, and, um, uh, you know, prison, everything on the outside. And what a lot of people do, they think that this stuff on the outside is creating all these problems. But uh, that's not the case. Uh, there's something right in the middle that's called addiction. And, um, you know, we came to believe that a power, uh, or, or we admitted that we were powerless over drugs and alcohol and our life was unmanageable. That's, that's, that's what this is. And in order for you to recover from addiction, uh, and you see, addiction it influences our thoughts, our feelings, our, our behavior, and everything. And in order to recover from addiction, what you got to do is crucify that old man and then put Christ in the center. And then he influences the way you think. 
the way you feel, the way your body responds, and the way you behave, and everything else in your environment. And so it's a Christ-centered model. And so our church really has a heart for uh, the recovery community. Like on Monday, we have the movement, which is like a very intense church camp. I don't know how else to describe it. These people come, and Rocky is just built for that. I mean, he is anointed by God. I mean... People respond. We have baptisms. We have five to ten baptisms every Monday night. It's incredible. And we see, you know, Brocky will tell you, people getting their children back, people working, becoming productive members of society. It's truly amazing. And, um, and then on Tuesday night, or on Tuesday, we have refit. We have another group that's coming from Hawk. On Wednesday, we have two AA meetings, a step meeting, and then one called Happy Hour. On Friday, I go to Hawk, uh, which is Huntington Addiction Wellness Center, and I'm with these men, and I preach a sermon. I bring my guitar and I play. And then the afternoon, Friday, we, I, I go to the farm, which is Rocky's place. So there's really a connection with our church and the community. And if you want to do this, we would like to see this happen all over the country. If you are in a church, you really need to find a Rocky and a Jimmy. <laughs> they are out there, I'm telling you. I mean, none are as good as these two. Though. But uh, right now, Jimmy is going to be talking. Oh, I, I do want to mention this before I leave. There are some practical things, problems that you're going to run into and uh, like, it's like, uh, uh, like cigarette butts and uh, um, some people feel different about people in recovery. They walk in with tattoos and, you know, they've been in prison. And, um, but if you can work through that. I tell you, where meetings before the meetings are where decisions are made. And so if you meet with your elders, talk to them, get them involved. And it's really, really important that you get a deacon who can take care, who has, we have a deacon, his name is, is Bob. And yeah, Bob Dozer is amazing. Very generous. And he believes in introducing people to Christ who are suffering from addiction. So, and you can head off many of those problems if you have somebody on the point. All right, that's all I'm gonna talk about. Now I wanna introduce uh, Jim. Good morning. I'm Jim, and I'm an alcoholic. You, you know, I used to think that was the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me. Uh, because, you know, I was this hopeless and miserable drunk. However, once I accepted my alcoholism, my attitude in life has, has started to change. I can say that I'm a recovering alcoholic since, uh, for 32 years. Since 1989, I've been an avid member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I still attend somewhere in the neighborhood between seven and ten AA meetings each week. Uh, I now realize that this wasn't the worst thing that ever happened to me. This was the best thing that ever happened to me, except me accepting uh, Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This morning I'd like to share with you how Alcoholics Anonymous has worked together like a pair of gloves. One fits real well on one hand, one on the other and has saved a wretch like me. In Philip Yancey's book titled Vanishing Grace, he speaks about Joseph Calafino, who was uh, uh, President Clinton's Secretary of Department of Health uh, and uh, Welfare. Mr. Calafino, he observed that programs such as Teen Challenge, Prison Fellowship, and the Salvation Army had better success rates than their secular counterparts. And I want to quote what, what uh, Secretary Califino said. Every individual I have met who successfully come off of alcohol and drugs 
have given religion as the key to that rehabilitation. So I'd like to take a, a few moments and talk about the 12 Christian principles that are encased in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I've heard it said that a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, doesn't it? So let's start at step one. Step one says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. The principle found here in this first step is honesty. And I'm talking about personal honesty. I'm, I'm talking about how I am, not, not as I think I am. Until I can be honest with myself, I have very little chance of recovering from this hopeless state of mind and body. Denial, though, is the most cunning and baffling part of my disease. Denial is not only lying to others, but it's also lying to me. I must be rigorously honest with myself before I can move on. Now, let's get one thing kind of clear here, too. Alcoholism is a disease. It, it's been recognized as a disease since 1956 by the AMA. And also by CDC, uh, they also view it as a disease. I don't have time to go into all the statistics, but currently on the CDC website, you can go and look at that, uh, in the United States, there's in excess of 140,000 deaths each year because of alcoholism. And it shortens the lifespan by about 26 years. I suggest you, you know, look at our disease, or my disease, and, and just see, see what the odds are for me staying clean and sober. Step two, it provides hope. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, uh, philosopher Herbert Spencer said, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, which cannot fail to keep man in everlasting ignorance, and that principle is contempt prior to investigation. You see, we have a lot of people who come to AA and, and they claim to be an atheist or agnostic in their approach. However, I or any non-believer cannot have a contemptuous attitude about God. We must be willing to be honest and have an open mind. Step three states, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. The third step, there's a story in, in AA, and it says uh, uh, there's three birds that are sitting on a wire. One makes a decision to fly off. How many birds are left? Well, the answer is three. The bird made a decision to fly off, however, he didn't, didn't do the action to fly off. The program of Al Alcoholics Anonymous is wrapped around action. In other words, if, if, I, don't have, if I don't have action in, in my program, I have very little recovery, if any. The principle in step three is faith. And where there's faith, there's hope. And if I do today what I have successfully done yesterday, then I can stay sober a day at a time. We must surrender by making that decision to trust God, to clean house, and to help others. I personally, I had a lot of trouble with step three. Then one evening, I was in a meeting, and uh, they say meeting makers make it. But anyway, I was in a meeting and I heard a guy say what he was turning over was his thoughts and his actions to the care of God as he understand, understood him. You see, I don't believe God wants us to be some kind of non-entity. He wants us to rely on him for his grace and our recovery. Step four, it takes courage. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Unfortunately, as we approach step four, a lot of us misunderstand, misunderstand the step, and instead of doing a moral inventory, we take an immoral inventory of ourselves. It was explained to me that it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's a little bit of good in the worst of us, and there's a little bit of bad in the best of us. My sponsor went on to say, uh, it's kind of like a man has a produce stand, and he has a bin and apple, apples, and, and he's taking inventory. And as he goes through the apples, he'll find a rotten apple. He keeps the good, 
but he discards the, the old. And by the way, a sponsor is somebody who will help you through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I believe fervently that you need a sponsor if you come to the program of AA. You see, step four is a rigorous inventory of an alcoholic's character, his defects, his flaws. And, you know, it is far easier for me to pick, point out the flaws in your than it is for me to see the flaws of mine. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, why do, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your eye? After I completed step four with my sponsor, I said, it appears I'm a thief, cheat, and a liar. And my sponsor informed me that if I'd quit stealing, quit lying, quit cheating, people would quit referring to me as such. <laughs> Sounds easy, doesn't it? Step five, admitted to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Integrity is a, a spiritual principle encased in the fifth step. Having integrity means living honestly. Here, here we can't leave any stone unturned. We must find someone whom we can confide in and, and we can confess our wrongdoings not only to the individual but as well as to God. This step will humble any alcoholic, not only before man, but before Almighty God. Yet when we get to AA, most of us feel we're the worst of the worst, you know. But, but after we're here, we, we find out we're pretty much just an average alcoholic needing a little help to stay sober a day at a time. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And the principle found in step six is willingness. I believe that the entire program of Alcoholics Anonymous is surrounded by willingness. And see, until I'm willing to accept that I'm hopeless without God's help, recovery for me is very, very doubtful. On page 568 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a quote and it says, willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. Now we're at step seven. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Naturally, the principle in step seven is humility. To be honest about it, I don't know if I know what humility is. However, I do recognize it when I see it. Humility isn't thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. You know, I found that life doesn't center just around me. You see, my rights end where your rights begin. What, what I found is I'm an alcoholic. It's not the worst thing that could happen to me. I'm also a child of the Most High God. The principle in step eight is brotherly love. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. You see, once again, that word willing shows up, doesn't it? Just look at, we are told in, in Mark's gospel, and it's the same in AA, we must be willing to love our neighbors as ourselves. Willing, step eight tells us to make this list of everyone we had harmed. We do this because we do not want to leave anyone, we don't want to leave anybody out. We must be willing to make amends to all people who we have hurt with our self-centered behavior. And step nine. Step nine is pretty difficult for a lot of us. It's owning up to what we've done. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. This is such a necessary part of our recovery. The principle found here is justice. And, and it's justice not for the alcoholic. This is justice for the people whom I have harmed. If I have stolen something from someone, I need to be willing to make it right. If I lied, I must be willing to repair that untruth with the truth. The steps in AA, they're, they're not for the timid, folks. It's, it takes a lot of courage to own up to all your misdeeds. Unfortunately, what I found is the people who I hurt the most were the people who I loved the most. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. The principle here is perseverance. 
I must continue to look at myself and not to focus, put my focus on others. I also believe that this step is telling me to promptly forgive the person that may have wronged me. I've got to be tough on me through discipline, but I also need to show kindness to others. So here we are at step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. The principle in step 11 is spiritual awareness. This step tells me how to seek God. It tells me to seek God through prayer and meditation. In my experience, meditation has been very, very difficult for me. It's hard for me to calm my mind and listen to that still, quiet voice of God. This step tells me that I am to improve my conscious contact with God. And see, it's hard for me to change my thinking when I won't shut up long enough to listen to what he has to tell me. The psalmist said in Psalms 46, be still and know that I am God. In order for me to build my relationship with God, I must, be, I must quiet my mind so I can recognize that still, quiet voice of Almighty God. And finally, we've reached step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So how fitting is it that the principle in step 12 is service? God expects us to serve others through his word. And as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, we try to share this message of recovery and extend a helping hand to others in need of recovery. It is said that if, if I want to keep this gift that was so freely given to me, then I've got to be willing to give it away. Therefore, if I try to hold back what was freely given to me, I lose it. It slips through my fingers. If I can do this with a grateful heart, we get to experience this wonderful blessings that God has for us. It is said that a, you know, that a grateful alcoholic won't drink. If I start falling back into my old behavior, I start hanging out with uh, my old so-called friends, that's when I start walking on some pretty thin ice. My ice starts getting a little thinner and thinner and thinner, and there's no doubt that I will eventually fall through that ice and hit rock bottom again. You know, it is said that I cannot think my way into good acting, but I can act my way into good thinking. You, think, you see, thanks be to God. My, life, my life's incredible today. I'm an ordained minister. I'm semi-retired from the insurance business. I celebrated 10 years of marriage uh, with my beautiful wife, Brenda. I have four successful children. Oh, let me tell you about my grandkids. <laughs> I have 10 wonderful grandkids. And, and, but all this is a drink, drink away from losing all that. You see, I was homeless when I walked through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, hopeless and broken. You see, I give up one thing. I give up one thing, and I get to experience everything that God has for me. If I do that one thing, I'll forfeit everything. Makes sense to give up the one thing, doesn't it? If you or some of your family members, uh, you might think they may have an alcohol or drug problem. I would sincerely suggest that you contact Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous if you're a family member or a friend, uh, Al-Anon, and that's a program for uh, friends and relatives of the alcoholic or drug addict. And the internet, I believe, can provide you with all the information. Folks, if you're talking to your, your friend or your relative and you ask them if they're tired of the high cost of low living, then these spiritual steps might work for them. I want to thank you, this, you know, for the opportunity to get to address you all this morning. So, uh, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> it ain't the worst thing that ever happened to somebody. But, you know, I've been saved by the grace of Almighty God. Amen. Now, I'd like to introduce my friend, uh, Rocky Meadows. He's uh, 
he has a recovery ministry, and oh, I think he got about 200 beds, I think. But uh, he's a good friend of mine and a confidant, my friend, Rocky Meadows. All right, Rock. All right. It's hard to live up to what them guys bring. I, uh, it's my mentors, uh, by the way, that uh, I ain't, I'm not who I am today without them. Um, the topic for this discussion was how to how churches can reach people suffering from addiction and be hard for me to do that without telling you some of our story that we come from a small city in a little country state that's known by as West Virginia Huntington was the number one overdose capital of our entire nation just six years ago and we're just a small town of 45,000 now I think we were 55 not long ago seems like everybody's running out of there um, to be um, a city and we are a city though um, actually has a big city feel to be a small city but to be the number one overdose capital in the nation we had a big job and um, being a person in long-term recovery myself, I'm currently, I'm over five years sober. I've, not, I've been less than perfect in my life. Um, I, I had a hiccup along the way. I've been in recovery about 13 years. And um, along that journey, I had found that as they spoke about, you've heard them speak about God a lot. Um, I truly believe anyone that really has this issue, you won't truly recover without God that if you did recover without God, you probably didn't really have what we have. That's kind of opinion, but I do believe that. I think there are some behavior modifications people can do, but if you really get overwhelmed with this issue of addiction or alcoholism like we talk about, it will take a power way outside of yourself. But I've seen God also show up in their lives as well, even not even acknowledging him. I've seen it happen. But what I want to speak to you guys today about is what we did and what we're doing of this whole, and it's called the movement, is a, a, somehow I ended up with it. I never imagined, Jeff talked about being in jail. It was only 12 years ago I was in jail, and Jimmy being one of my best friends today, uh, Jim's son, he's a, he's a sheriff. I was arrested a lot, and I went to prison a lot. And uh, having spent over 11 years in prison and been arrested 38 times, I have a lot of experience on the other side, a lot. And so I have a lot of value to bring there, but I also have a lot of experience on this side And because I started um, helping people in recovery right away because it was certain to me, and when J Jeff mentioned you got to have a Jimmy and you got to have a Rocky, it's not to say that you can't help someone because it was taught to me that, you know, just because my sister maybe had been raped and I've never been raped, I don't have something to offer. I think everybody has something to offer. Yeah. And so anybody can help someone in addiction, but it is pretty important to get some people who also had suffered from that to bring that peer model because there is some value in that, that that just does not exist otherwise. So getting some people in recovery to help your churches is super, super, super important. Now, what Jim, uh, Jeff had brought up, and I'll try not to talk too long this morning. I could go for hours on this subject, but um, what you do have to be careful about, there's a lot of mess. And some of the people you think are going to be your best people to help you will be your mess. And there is a lot of mess that comes with people in addiction. So if you're ready to do this, you're ready to help people. The first thing I'll tell you, and we told all our churches in our city and town, was be ready to be inconvenienced. Absolutely. Um, you're going to have people that show up drunk. Um, and me and Jeff and Jim, we're so close. We're all pastors today. We don't know how um, um, that we talk and joke a lot, I believe as a person who helps people in recovery and a pastor, that if I'm not abused, tricked, and manipulated at least twice a month, yeah. I probably wasn't extending grace far enough. And so be ready to be inconvenienced. They are going to show up with lies and stories of how they need money and just pay my electric this one month, and it'll be the second month and third month, and when you tell them the fourth month you can't, they'll tell everybody all around town how you cut their electric off. And so they will trick you, abuse you, and use you in every way, and so be ready for that. Um, you will have to use wisdom, and that's where we truly believe it's good to have people in recovery because they can help you discern, like, no, no, they're tricking you right now. And You, you want to make sure that you don't help people manage the dysfunction they're in because it, it, with a good heart we think we're helping people and a lot of the time we're really just helping people stay dysfunctional um, because like paying their electric well it seemed like help but you're helping them because they use their money on drugs and alcohol and so you really just help them to their next bad event 
and you will need to pay their electric again next month, by the way, and probably their rent too, and so it doesn't help. So you've got to remember what we call help isn't always help. Um, these people are crazy. They will tell stories. Um, we hold a large church service, which is called the movement. Um, when I originally started, I never knew I would preach. Um, I, I knew I was probably a pastor at some level, just like spiritually helping people. But um, I was told I was supposed to do a Bible study at a river. And I'm like, no, nah, probably not. And I took a little black leather bound Bible to the river with about eight men. And it was so God blessed and God's presence was there that we could not continue that thing. And it evolved from eight men to I have seen 500 on our Monday night church service. And these are mostly all people coming out of addiction recovery. And we do that every week now, and I don't think there's ever a week we have under 200. So every week we have a 200-person church service of people coming out of addiction recovery on a Monday night, of all things, of anywhere they could be or do. Um, a lot of them are in programs, so they're like, probably should go there. That's, you know, it's always called voluntold meetings, you know, you know like you're probably going. So, um, but we've, like Jeff said, we've seen as many as 5 to 10 and 15. We've seen many people baptized on a weekly uh, i think we went one time 51 weeks or something straight and never missed a baptism and we have altar calls where we've seen it literally a hundred people at an altar praying to change their life coming to christ praying to come out of addiction praying for freedom and watching the movement of what this is and the movement simply started that term was we were just a group of people that really all wanted more from life and we knew that god was the answer and this thing has grew and grew. And, and so with trying to teach churches how to help, um, I met a pastor here that's from here local, and it, it's very important that you remember that the churches wasn't this place we were supposed to protect ourselves in behind the walls. You know, the church was supposed to be a place we reach everybody. We are the church. You're the church. It wasn't about a safe place to get away from the world, but it was a place that we all come to worship the Lord together, but we're supposed to reach the world. And so um, joining every anonymous program that exists, um, that would be the best thing you could do from AA to NA to CA to HA. The C is cocaine and H is heroin. It's a, all, well, I qualify for all the programs. Um, and, and so reaching out to them and getting that connection to the community with trying to protect yourself at the same time because they really are coming in your office to steal a laptop. They really will come in and steal the purses. And, and I mean, they'll have try to have sex in your bathrooms. And everything is, is not off limits to them. That they're a bunch of ill people who need to get well. They're not bad people who we want to be good because if the truth was told that I'm the worst sinner ever lived. When Paul said that in the Bible about himself, I don't think he knew I would be born. And, and for me to be here today and be able to teach or tell people about how to get churches to reach people in addiction recovery, that um, it, it's a, just a big work that it'll be the greatest thing you ever did. It won't be the easiest. The people you'll reach and the lives you'll see changed um, but when I started this thing, I do separate from just our church that we hold our church a service at the Norway, Norway Avenue Church of Christ every Monday, and they're our home and we're a family together. But separate from that, I started an addiction ministry. I did not know what I was doing. I just wanted to help people. I was still drive, riding a bicycle with no money, no credit, no way to do anything, not quite a year out of prison, and um, God allowed me to buy a home. And so I started these recovery-type houses, and I was literally still riding a bicycle. Like, when I met that realtor, and I pulled up on a bike, and he pulled up in his car, I hope he thought I was exercising, you know. <laughs> and, and, and God allowed me to buy that home. And today, there are, um, like, 13 properties with a large apartment unit, 60-man bed complex from, like, detox-type phase one stuff that well, I have 200 people in a bed today. And to have start that way, and, and I had no churches or no help because nobody knew who I was, and I wasn't connected anywhere. And, and most of the work you'll do, everything will come through God. And so with that being said, I want to kind of evolve into some things I wrote down for you guys that I, I see is truly important. And number one is it's God's the source. And I'll give you three scripture, scriptures that wrap around it, and then I want to tell you what I mean by that. Is, um, first in Corinthians 8, 6, it says, Yet for us there is only one God, the Father, who is the source of all things. And second is Philippians 4.19. It's my God will liberally supply, fill to the full, every need according to his riches and glory. So if you have a need, and it's been this way for me, like when I said I had no money, no credit, no driver's license, in 12 years I have not 
missed a bill and I have 800 credit today, which Jim taught me how to do that, and I have multi-million dollar type bills and responsibilities on me today, and I've never missed a bill. I've never missed a payment on one thing in 12 years. So I knew that God would supply all my needs. Um, as a matter of fact, I got a little arrogant and said, I think it's time to start me a couple of my wants, buddy. And I asked for a few things that are always for the people, never in a selfish way. And third is James 1.17. It's every good gift and every perfect gift, which is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable and neither shadow of turning. So what I want to say and what I want to talk about about that is that all things are good and can be used. Just remember that those are all resources that God is the source. We get into too many debates about churches wanting to say that God's the only way and God's the answer and you just need to come to Jesus and to think that therapy, counseling, medication, doctors, uh, living in a program, all those things are not needed and we're kidding ourselves. And I, I think we got to figure out how to put the things together like Jim talks about a lot, how AA and God, like it's like two gloves, you know, one on each hand and they both fit real well. And that because that AA is such an action program and it works so well, and I think it's probably the best way to walk out a Christian walk, but I think there are many other elements which we today use, doctors, medicine, everything, and that churches, many of them will be, you just need to come to Jesus. And you got a guy coming to the altar every week, repenting and try to turn his life around, and he just needed some help. He needed to live inside a recovery house or recovery program. He needed some therapy. He needed some counseling. Maybe he needed medication for a while. And we get into this debate of either or, like it's one or the other, and I don't think it's that at all. I think it's an also. It's God and. And I think we need to add in everything that is beneficial and useful and need it, but always honor and believe God for the source and the power of all of it that too many people are getting caught up with debate, debate of it's this or it's that. And I watched more people get lost in the church only trying to come out of addiction than almost anything. Like it's not that God don't show up, it's they don't know how to live. They don't know how to be responsible, productive members of society and pay their own way, which is a big part of what we teach, that these kids are coming in here 20 to 40 years old and they're all a bunch of 20 to 40 year old, 13 year olds emotionally and they're stunted and don't know how to grow up. And you think going to an altar and coming to Jesus is gonna change that, he does change you. There's also a walking it out process that we believe in and live through that we teach and is much needed. And so don't forget that God is the source. So to use AA and A, any of the A programs, clinical help, medical help, those are all good. I believe in all of them, including medication, which we used to be abstinent Nazis and didn't believe in any medication. And I, I think we, we were fools to get in the way and think that doctors didn't have some say. Now you wanna be careful. There's some doctors and pharmacy and all that you know, type of world that it's agenda driven and pushed and it's about money, so be careful. But I think all of them are good. So the next thing I wanna say is ne this, never be ashamed of the gospel. Just make sure you show it and live it. Not just quote scripture at them. You gotta remember that these people coming out of addiction, they can smell a fraud in a second. I mean, they can call you right out. They know, they can see it. But never be ashamed of the gospel. The one thing I've never done is compromise to that point and I'm grant funded from the feds, from the state and every, every, every way there is. And somehow I've pulled it off. I, I am gospel centered. I, will not, I, don't, I don't play mince words about it. Jesus is the source of all things. Jesus saved my life. Jesus gave me forgiveness of my sins. Jesus reconnected me to God, and I believe he is the everything. So never be ashamed of the gospel. Don't shy away from it either. You don't have to be arrogant about it, but I, if you know me for five minutes, you will know I'm in addiction recovery, and you'll know I know Jesus, and I may never even have told you about him, and I certainly don't need to bring a Bible into it, but you will know. And I think they need to know and see that from us too. It's time that we all lived an authentic walk, that we were true to what we do, that Jim pointed out about how um, AA is action, that I think it's, it's high time that we all had action in our life, that what I mean is produce fruit. You say you're a Christian, I need to see it in your life. Don't tell me. I don't want to know what church you go to or what denomination or how you can quote scripture at me. I will know it by looking at your life. And if we say that we love people and we're trying to help these people and how could churches um, connect with people suffering from addiction, that's going to be needed. They will see it, they will know it, they will experience it in a second. They don't want to know how you can, do, or they come into your church on Sunday, because that was another big piece. If they're not sitting in your pew, then you're not helping. That these people may show up drunk on Sunday, how you feel about them sitting next to Aunt Ethel over there, and, and he still smells a little bit. 
you better be ready for that. So be authentic, be real. And um, drug addicts can smell a fake. Don't forget it, they will. I mean, they will call you out. Matter of fact, they'll call you out when you don't deserve it. I mean, they're a little arrogant and you, you need to be careful with them. The next is um, this, I, I believe in this. I live by this. Um, I'm always ready to look silly. And what I mean by that is I'm very vulnerable and gullible to the Lord, which has always created a humility in me that allows me to stay right-sized because my flesh will peep its head in just a very second and I, I will be just silly and I'll head off on the, on the wrong course and I get spiritually unfit. And um, I'm not like regular people in the world. For me, that means I'll go get a drink of alcohol or drugs and, and mess everything up. But the Bible says that we would be a peculiar people so it's okay that we're different. You would have called me whatever. I don't care. I'm silly. I love the Lord, and I'm okay. I'm vulnerable, and I'm gullible to the Lord at all times. And um, I'm okay to get abused, tricked, and, and manipulated a couple times a month, whatever. It's okay. I, I would rather have done that and not reach to the people and reach the people that we're supposed to reach. And so don't forget that. So just trust God and leave God room. And what I mean by that is, here's what I've learned, because in the beginning, like I said, I had no help, that um, I had learned from reading one of uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin. He, if you guys knew who, who they are, Franklin took over a thing called Samaritan's Purse, if you guys have ever heard of it. And he was a real rebel and like kind of a just knothead to be a major PK's son. And um, this guy who used to run Samaritan's Purse knew, and the Lord had spoke to him, and told him Franklin would succeed him, which it never looked like it would ever be to happen. And he was teaching him, and like they would go on these little prop planes and fly into these places in rural countries you should not get in and out of. And Samaritan's Purse is usually the first one who shows up when major events happen. I'm talking about before Red Cross. And they're the ones who supply the need and the food and the shelter and all the things, medical help that's when things go wrong and happen. And he was teaching Franklin, and he, he, he said, well, son, i got to teach you about God room. He said, what are you talking about God room? And he said, well, do you remember when this bad event happened last month? And we said we would take that on. We only had $600,000 in the account, and it's a $17 million project. He said, now I can call the president direct. He said, I can get this congressman, I can get this business, I can get this person, and I could pull a lot of this together and I still may only could pull together four million. And he said, so you gotta do things that are so big that if God don't show up, this is not happening. That you have to leave room for God to work. That if it's truly gonna be that thing, now don't be reckless and, and don't get out on some silly stuff, but you'll know when it's of the Lord. And everything I've done, I call it getting out on the water, by the way, that this God room place is really like you got like me buying a house, still riding a bicycle, was not supposed to happen. But here I am today, 12 years later, and having 200 people in a bed today, and tons of them getting better and changing their lives and to watch everything that happens, that was God room. There's a lot I could have did. Me, Jim, and his partner, we all got together. We got our, all our old paint and threw it in five-gallon buckets and mixed it up. That first house, we painted, it was sea foam green, man. We did everything we could. We did our part but you gotta leave God room to work. So don't forget that. Be ready to be inconvenienced. And these people are changing their lives and they'll be some of the best people that you will ever have in your life, by the way. They will extend further, give the shirts off of their back. You talk about altruism. These people will show up and help and do things for nothing at all times that most people would never get involved in. And so it will definitely be worth it. Um, we'll be here for a few more minutes. If you have any questions, we will help follow up that. Thanks for letting me share today. I wouldn't do that. Can you pass these out? Here is a, uh, uh, th these have our phone numbers on them and also everything that we've talked about. Uh, so we'll end with, uh, do you all have any questions? Yes. Um, you mentioned in there about the, Right, you mentioned about uh, when people ask you to, this is a big thing I think that all churches experience when we're trying to do good and reach out to any group of people on, uh, that are in the world and everything, that 
how many times do you pay their rent? Or how many times do you pay their electric bill or their gas? None? Zero. Why? Zero. If long as they're caught in alcoholism or addiction, I pay it zero. Okay. That's Not one time. Because I'm only helping them to their next event. Now, I'll help you. I'll help you get help. I'll help you get better. But I'm not paying anything because I'm only helping them stay dysfunctional. I believe that. Now, as, as a church, we, we pay one time and, and then They're coming back it. next month, though. Yeah, that, that, but some of them don't. Some of them, I'm involved in the city. I, I am involved in the city and people, people come. And like I say, if I'm not taking advantage of at least every other but month. all the people that ask for help. Not all of well, yeah, so not I'm, all of them are addiction. I'm but specifically talking about people caught in addiction. Yeah, He's talking yeah. about as a church, we as will church. try to help someone, especially if they're connected to them. Now, not just anybody can walk in and say, pay my rent. Now, how do you discern the difference, though? That's, the That's where you need people like me and Jim that are, are very closely connected to the people to discern the difference. Because they can dress up and look the part and come in and trick you. But also, if they're probably not connected to your congregation, that's where you point them to help and local resources and shelters and whatever the DHHR resources are. That, you, you know, it's not your job just to pay everybody's bills that won't do well by themselves. Don't mean I don't, I give, trust me, I give deep and I give a lot, but I, I don't give into dysfunction. Yeah. See, I can, I can feed a man a fish or I can and I can feed him one day, or I can teach him to fish. And, and, and we do believe that I, I, I will feed you the fish today, but you are fishing tomorrow, 100%. So, so if it looks like it's help, and, and you can see them onto the path of, of correctness, yeah, I may pay it, but not, not if they're caught in addiction. I've got to get you out of that first, which I'll do. I'll do anything for that part, which you're, may... You're just throwing money down the toilet when you... Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. Guaranteed. But, but yes, sir. But many of those people come out. I mean, I know a guy who bought his house with cash. And, you know, it came out of addiction. They're some of the most productive people. Some of some of the best hearts, you know, on the other side of addiction. I mean, uh, Rocky is amazing. Jimmy is amazing. Jimmy owned his own insurance company. You know, he came out and uh, as a minister, Rocky. I mean. He's one of the great forces that God is using in the tri-state area, and it is truly amazing to see. It's a miracle what God is doing. It really is through Rocky and and you'll all do it too, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah you you will too. And and I, I want to say a word about our church too because they hired an alcoholic. I was only sixteen months sober, and now twenty years later. You know, we have a whole bunch of people coming into our church. So our elders and our people, they love, I, we really have a good church. There's a group of elders, though, that help us oversee the mess. Like, yeah. like the clean, from, from the cigarette butts to the cleanup after to trying to help with security, make sure they're not really sneaking in that office, stealing the laptops and the purses and having sex in the bathrooms. you got to have a church. The discussion, but Dad, tell them a little bit, too, what Rocky was talking about. The guys that recover from drug addiction, they are generally the most giving and helpful people. And Dad's church, once he took it over, it's in pretty poor uh, shape. Yeah, when when uh, I was I was a Presbyterian minister, and uh, don't hold that. They're okay too. Yeah. They're <laughs> but anyway, uh, this huge, huge church, uh, it would seek about 750 people. And there was about 10 or 12 people showing up on any given Sunday when I became the minister there. And it was in bad disrepair. And the guys that uh, that did the work were the men from the Lifehouse Men, well, from uh, from the farm who came over and they painted. They, they, it, it was just unbelievable to watch uh, the hand of God moving. And, and then uh, the last Sunday I was there, I think it was about 150 people in, in that congregation. So that wasn't every Sunday, but uh, you know, some of them showed up to say goodbye to me. Someone to make sure I was leaving. <laughs> but anyway, bless them when they come. Bless them when they go, Lord. Yeah, they did it all for free, obviously. These guys put in their time, their energy, their effort, and it took and months worked. and months and months. How, how long did you work? About a year and a half, probably on the church. Yeah. You got it back to the work. Yeah. Every beautiful. Saturday, 
until I mean the balcony was beautiful again. Every, it was it was put back in shape, and it, it was all by donations and, uh, and uh, a lot of sweat equity and and uh, a lot of donations from people, and it it was just wonderful. So uh, you know, allow these people to uh, to uh, work. I mean, it's it's they'll, amazing. They'll but, participate. Deep. Yeah, they will. Uh, you don't want to. I got to work. I get to work kind of guy. Well, what no one knows is. Years before he became pastor, he was pouring into that church and painting and doing everything himself for five years prior, really repairing the church. Didn't even know why before he ever became pastor of that church and, and took over. Yeah, it really is. And that same church he's talking about the balcony. I've seen. I got pictures. I'll show you guys if you want. That we had. Pe we had people in the balconies. That the church yeah. service was so big on yeah. that Monday night service that we hold. Amazing. Does drugs come under your Does what? Drugs. Drugs, alcohol, it's all the same. Yes, sir. Yeah. I, we don't we don't distinguish any difference. Alcohol is a drug. Alcohol is a drug. They're one and the same in our our representation. Yes, ma'am. Meth. Very high, yeah, high rates of um, substance addiction and so forth. And um, we're hosting Celebrate Recovery. We're working Great with service. The, uh, Hope Center. And um, I, you know, my husband and I have have volunteered in, with both city team and and um, drug and alcohol recovery programs. But I don't know the, you know, we we could share some things, but you would be much more equipped to come and speak to our congregation on preparing for. Our city actually kind of created a, a, a overview agenda or curriculum on this that I could share with you, but I would do anything to help you in any way if, if you need as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, well, our phone numbers are on this. Uh, yeah, the handout. That's on my the handout. Personal cell. Uh, personal cell, email. Let's uh, uh, listen. The tax collectors and the sinners gathered all around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. You ready? Our Father, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you all.